1: Hello and welcome back to Close Reads here on the Close Reads Podcast Network. I am David Kern, and I am joined by everyone. <laughs> I'm joined by Angelina Stanford and Heidi White and Tim McIntosh. We are all here together to do a well a year end, year beginning, summarizing, previewing, you know that kind of show. So, Angelina, Heidi, Tim, welcome back to the show. How's it going?
2: Great. Doing hey, well. good
1: tim do you also want to say <laughs> I,
0: I just didn't want it to make it a traffic jam of greetings <laughs> i'm doing wonderfully
1: <laughs> well uh i was gonna say we'll see how this goes you know you get uh, graham was gonna be here as i said but as i said before we hit before we hit record but he couldn't make it so that makes it a little bit easier because you guys know how much graham likes to hug mike but um <laughs> but i uh i figured we'll, we'll have to see well, have to, it'll test my my real uh, ability to actually manage people, right? Um,
3: Tim, are you back in Seattle or are you still in Georgia?
1: I'm back in Seattle.
3: And I David, got back. Just, they, we, we're living in pretend Seattle right now here in North Carolina with the weather. Yeah. yeah.
0: It was, Atlanta was like that when I was home. I was so ready for some sunshine and it was just, it rained the whole time. So, so I got so my money you're back. To
3: blame. You brought it with you. So we have Yeah,
0: Yeah, I probably, I probably did.
3: <laughs> but you, well, you didn't take it back. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I left it
1: where I called it. So um, speaking of sunshine, uh, Angelina, you have a thing going on in your life. Do you want, are we allowed to talk about this on the air? Because oh. I haven't brought it up. I've known, I mean, this is, some, I knew, I knew about it last time we recorded, but, but I didn't, I didn't, you hadn't made a public announcement. So since you've put it on Facebook, I assume we can talk about it. No, now. actually our there? conversation
3: that morning was really funny. Cause I said, should I say something on the air? And then he was like, when will it air? Will we have told everyone. By this, I was like kind of touch and go because some of his family <laughs> listens to this show. And we were kind of not wanting to bring the news on the on the podcast. Surprise.
1: So, yes. Yeah, so, so yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead.
3: Oh, so my news is that over the holiday, um, I got engaged to be married. Yay. Like he really is Lord Peter and I'm not going to just spend this entire hour gushing about how I found my Lord Peter, but I definitely found my Lord. I mean, yesterday we went shopping for rare books. Um, so, you know, yes, we are Harriet Vane and Lord Peter. So I'm getting married to, uh, Thomas banks and, um, if our readers got the, uh, our readers, if our listeners got the la- latest issue of the former journal, his poetry was, mm-hmm. was in there. And uh, when yeah. we made the Facebook announcement, a lot of, I saw that people instantly made the connection. To, he was the poet guy. He was the guy with the poems <laughs> <laughs> and, and lots of comments about, well, who else would he be?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations to you and Thomas. Sometime we'll have to make Thomas do a, uh, can we call him Tom, Tommy, Tommy boy? What do we call him? Oh, oh god
3: no! A, not, you
2: not call him Why do you boy. call Lord Peter? Petey? <laughs> Think about this. What? You well, may yeah. call him Mister Banks.
0: Mister Banks, I got it. Okay. So, Did um, he wear a like a plaid flannel suit out
1: rare book No, he shopping. wears an, I an I ascot. How... He wears an ascot. <laughs>
3: oh. No, actually, he describes his sense of style as grumpy bookstore owner.
1: Hmm. Hmm. So he's a poet.
3: <laughs> Pretty, <That's>... much, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much.
1: Well. I, you did post the pictures and he was wearing an excellent sweater. Graham and I both commented on it. So that, you know, that, that's a that's a good positive, you know, positive impression for us.
2: Oh, he's make very dashing, he's <laughs> really lovely.
1: So, congratulations to you. Um that's great news and we are very happy for you and I wish you guys the best. Did you have you set a date?
3: Well, it <laughs>
1: that you can share publicly on a podcast that goes out to thousands of people.
3: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the date is as soon as humanly possible because he has to move cross country. So we're trying to coordinate a ton of logistics. That made me want to just break down and cry. Mm. And I have suggested eloping in the middle of the night many times.
1: <laughs> is he is he good at logistics? I mean, is that like
3: is no? Uh, what part of he's a poet was um. <laughs> Hey, poets
0: have to <laughs> that's, be a good great, that's a great answer. Poets are good at organizing <laughs> po- things.
3: He's a poet. Was clear. <laughs> yeah, right. like, like, the man things. can think in a sonnet. Like he thinks in a sonnet it is the most extraordinary thing. He will stop me when I'm talking and he'll say, "Oh, that was that was perfect blank verse. We should write that down." <laughs> Coordinated cross-country move? No, we are both brought to our knees on this. Um, so, you know, <laughs> well, selling all his worldly goods, burning them in one last hurrah. These are things we have considered.
1: <laughs> well, good luck with that. Um, <laughs> and, uh, we are uh, we are here to to talk about um, the year moving forward, the year behind us. It's now 2019. We are recording on Friday, January 4th, 2019. So, I wanted to get everybody on to discuss some of the things that we read, some of our favorite books that we read. We'll talk a little bit about the books that we read here on the show. The ones that, well, I'll ask a question about that in a minute, but we've obviously spent, you know, the show talking about those books, but, and then we're also going to talk about some of the books that, that, um, that, that all of us read kind of, that you guys don't know about, um, because we read other things other than that are on the show, believe it or not. (laughs) Uh, And then also we're going to, I want to hear from each of you guys about, Your approaches to uh, reading in 2019. What some of your plans are, other than obviously like how to move across the country and eloping for dummies. Uh, But (laughs) do they actually
3: have that? I I would buy that. I probably. I don't know. I'm popping over to Amazon right now.
1: I think eloping for dummies is just Romeo and Juliet. Uh, Oh great. (laughs) Oh yeah. Sorry, that doesn't end well.
3: (laughs)
2: This will end badly. Um, they just did it wrong it's like a cautionary yeah true
1: exactly Exactly. yeah um so i'll be
3: sure to text you and tell you i'm faking my death just to be clear
1: perfect all right okay (laughs) so yeah yeah don't screw that up so we posted on um on the close reads instagram page we posted each of our five favorite books of the year. And I'm going to kind of quickly go through those. So,
3: wait, before you do, since Graham is not here, I'm going to totally throw him under the bus and say okay. he misspelled two of mine. And, you know, I got some pushback on that. That was not me. I double checked my text message. I do know how to spell Dorothy Sayers. <laughs>
1: That's true. That's true. He did misspell that now that I'm looking on that, looking at that. Yeah, we got to throw him under the bus. Graham, you're not even here to defend yourself, but almost, In my heart, fair, I
3: said, well, you know, that was words and his thing is pictures. So
1: to be fair, I did read all of them to double check and I missed it completely. So, <laughs> uh, and, and I'm an actual editor, um, <laughs> but uh, let's, let's go through some of these. So Angelina, since you mentioned that, I'll, I'll talk, I'll ask you about these first. You mentioned that your five favorite books of the year um, and this probably has changed since you sent this. Uh, were um, "Walking on Water" by Madeline Langle, "The Alchemist" by Paolo Coelho. I, Coelho. I don't actually know how to say his last name. Okay. I looked it up, but I couldn't no, figure I don't out. Either. Yeah, Coelho, Coelho, C-O-E-L-H-O. Some of you have probably seen that book before at bookstores and so forth. "The Trojan Women" by Euripides. I hear it too. "Are Women Human?" by Dorothy Sayers which is quite the title and I'm glad a woman wrote it and the celestial celestial omnibus, which is a story I believe by Forrester, right? Yes. So Angelina, you have five, what seem like pretty different books here. Is that, is your list sort of curated by design to not have five books that are very similar or is that just sort of how it worked out when you were looking back and saying, these are the five books that stayed with me?
3: Huh? It's funny because I, I do think they're connected.
1: (laughs) Okay? Great. Perfect. Uh, like I said, first impression, you know, I don't I don't know all these books terribly well.
3: So Uh, Just to explain a little bit about how I read, I think I've mentioned this before, but some people might be surprised to find out that I actually primarily read nonfiction. Actually, the first time that Thomas saw my very substantial library, he was surprised that it was mostly nonfiction. Um, So I'm, gosh, I'm a researcher at heart. I just, I I mean, I'm looking at the stack of books on my desk right now and like just, you know, uh, um, a book on uh, medieval science, (laughs) a book on, (laughs) a book on tracing all the classical uh, influences on medieval literature. Like that's, that's, my curl up with a cup of tea and a blanket kind of reading. I, I can't get enough of that stuff. So primarily those are I are both
1: books that are on my dad's desk right now. Like oh, those see. Exact topics.
3: <laughs> there, there you go. Well, we're gonna have to have some chats, he and I. Um <laughs> so so primarily I read nonfiction. I read very, very little fiction. And if I do, it's going to be stuff that has been recommended to me by someone very trustworthy. So or
1: you're forced to, because uh, you're on a podcast that does that.
3: Well, that's true too. So what all of these books have in common is that every single one of them was a book that someone said to me, her, someone heard me say something and then immediately responded, oh, if that's the way you think about X, then you should read Y.
1: Is this just going to be a list of books that Thomas recommended to you?
3: It is very Thomas Banks heavy, I won't lie. <laughs> <laughs> the first two were not Thomas Banks recommendations. All the rest were, um, including my very substantial um, honorable mention list.
1: <laughs> yeah the, the honorable mention list we won't, we won't even get to those i'm sure okay go on yeah so yeah, i yeah.
3: read a i read a circle of quiet based on your mother's recommendation hmm. and then as i was reading that and posting quotes about it tons of people said oh you need to read walking on water so i read that next okay um and and very much liked it did do you want me to talk about them or no what's the what's the protocol here
1: well i would say yeah you can go well, I, really what I'm interested in is what's that thread between them? Because you mentioned that they all seem like they have a, th- a common thread. Is that the, the common thr- thread? That- the
3: thread is that it came up organically that these were ideas I was thinking about and people said, oh, then you should read such and such. So they're not necessarily connected in any sense other than that they were handpicked by me to to speak to me. So that's mm. that's the thread. So each, I mean, I can actually trace my my year by looking at these mm. books. And I know exactly what I was thinking about. Mm. You know, I was thinking about aesthetics and writing. Um, and, <laughs> and then I was thinking about the nature of love and some, I don't know why. And so people recommended some books about that. And then the last three were all books that Thomas recommended based on different conversations that we had.
1: Okay. Yeah.
3: Um, so the Celestial Omnibus, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this story. So he knew that we had done a close reads on Howard's Zinn. And he loves Howard Zinn and he loves E.M. Forster. I mean, this is like one of our intense things that we have in common. So on our very first date, um, we started talking about books, obviously as one does, and he, so we're talking about Howard Zinn, and he said, well, have you ever read um, the Ian Forster short story, The Celestial Omnibus? And I said, I had not. And so he began to talk about it, and I was very intrigued, and he said, oh, I just really think this is a story that you're gonna deeply connect with. So after we had this conversation, we were wandering around downtown, and we stumbled on a bookstore, And we walked in and lo and behold, there was a copy of Ian Forster's short stories with the celestial omnibus in it. And he bought it for me Mm. on our first date. So I went home and read it.
1: That was curtains for that, for your decision on this relationship. Well,
3: yeah, it wasn't (laughs) hard to figure out. It was not. It was not hard for either one of us to. It was. It was just. Yeah, we both of us had the experience of. So there you are. My goodness, you're hiding everywhere, um, hiding in bookstores. So I, I went home and read Behind the book. The <laughs> exactly. If only either one of us had ever looked up from a book, we might have found each other uh, yeah. <laughs> sooner. But um, so I went home and read the book. And it was just one of those very rare experiences where I was completely enchanted Hmm. from beginning to end, just held my breath until I got to the end of the story. And honestly, when I got to the story at the end, I was shaking and I couldn't breathe and I couldn't catch my breath. And I was just I felt like I was on Mount Zion and was just transcending with the angels here it was the most amazing story and so then i called him and said i just finished reading and this was my experience and and he said it was also his experience and um so so the Celestial- you know, that's
0: not it's not science fiction is it i know that he wrote yes. a science fiction is it really
3: yes well i mean and it's I guess really I, good i don't know if technically i would call it science it's, it's fantasy
0: yeah hmm.
3: And it's highly literary and it's highly artistic and if you read it, you'll instantly know I don't, I don't want to say anything, but I mean yeah, yeah. yeah what no if literary, what if li- what if literary characters were real? <laughs> what if you could they go are. to them?
1: who says they aren't <laughs>
3: Josh <laughs> Not Gibbs, <even> Forster
1: <laughs> Josh Gibbs and I talk about this all the time
3: um uh, so the so yes, the celestial omnibus you' you're you're you're, it's in fact when he told me the premise i seriously wondered if it was not an influence on cs lewis's the great divorce like the bus ride to heaven because this is what this uh. is the celestial omnibus it's the bus yeah. ride to heaven hmm.
1: Huh. well let's let's um keep moving because i'm going to have other questions about your list too but um sure. and i, I want to get to some other books besides the ones the five that were posted on Instagram. So Heidi, let's turn over to you next. So you, your list is Lincoln in the Bardo by George Saunders, The Odyssey uh, translated by Emily Wilson, A Little Book on Form by Robert Haas, Robert Haas, um, A Gentleman in Moscow by Amor Towles, and I, I actually don't know if I said that right. In Praise of the Useless Life by Paul Quenin These are you know what's weird about names. It could be pronounced in <laughs> any way literally
2: you right <laughs> <laughs> that's true um, it's true it's hard to do the podcast sometimes because there's so many words or names that I've only they've never heard out loud or said out loud yeah. but just read yeah, I think that you know, readers have that problem we don't actually know how to pronounce words
1: <laughs> so. <laughs> so okay you, so these are five you have uh three what two novels an epic poem a book on poetry and another book that I don't know what it's about so um what was there one of these that like is there a common thread in your in your reading this year how did this list come together for you when you were you know when i said what were the five books was it pretty easy for you to say these are the five or was it was did you have to do some soul searching
2: I think yeah, I had to do some soul searching, and I chose that list of five with very specific criteria. They were books that unexpectedly delighted me. Angelina talked mm. about this too that you that they were books that I ne- I didn't necessarily have expectations for, but when I read them, they just delighted me in such an unexpected way. Like, oh, this is just a wonderful story for for. And I'll give you an example. In Praise of the Useless Life, I put on that list because I read it to write a review on it for Forma, which I still haven't written, <laughs> sorry, but I'm um, <laughs> going to next week. Uh, but I read the book just to review it, but I didn't choose it. And as just in the opening chapters, I was enchanted. I I loved it. It's it's a, a memoir from a, a monk who studied under Thomas Merton, hmm. and he's writing this Basically, love song to the monastic life. It's not uh, literature by any means. Like it's it's well written, but it's you know it's not the Odyssey. But it just I, I just fell in love with this little book that praises nature and talks about plain chant and just this this monk who lives a life that I cannot necessarily relate to, but drew me in. So all of the books on my list were books that unexpectedly delighted me.
1: Mm. Had you read any of them? Like, were they all new to you this year or new authors? I mean, obviously... I did choose all all new reads.
2: Yeah. I did choose all new reads for my list. Um, Although... Technically, I did read Lincoln and the Bardo at the end of 2017, and then I read it again in 2018. But I had to put it on my list because I think everyone should read this book. So it, it went on there even though it was technically a reread. Closely, just chronologically, I read it twice mm-hmm. in a row. So, so like, <laughs>
0: that's, a, that's a testament to how much you think of that book.
2: I did loved you finish it. finish it and it's then start it again book. right away? I okay. did, yes, yes.
1: Mm -hmm. George Saunders is an incredible writer and that's, you know, he's known for here. He had been known for, you know, like the 10th of December, which is a collection of short stories, which is really popular. Um, but this book seems to have really, um, taken people's really, people have been really taken by it. Some people in a way that they don't like, but, but it,
2: yeah, it's controversial. It's a really hard book to read because it's, it's, it's a ghost story. I'm not giving too much away. It's one of those, if, you should probably know it even before you read it, so that it doesn't surprise you. It's written from the perspective of these ghosts in a graveyard who are watching Abraham Lincoln. and they tell their own stories. So the grammar's kind of weird, and it's kind of stream of consciousness at some points. and uh, so it's it's, a, it's' kind of a strangely constructed story at first. after I would say after the first thirty pages, your your mind, and expectations kind of adjust, so it just feels natural, but it takes some work at the beginning. Mm, yeah. But it's really lovely. And it's his only novel that he's written, and it took him years and years to write it. Uh, he's mostly known for his short stories, as you pointed out, David, and they're wonderful. 2 10th of December is excellent, all of them. He writes essays and stories, but this is his first novel. and it's wonderful there's a
1: very huh. famous video well i mean within certain circles um there, there's a. will there's a, <laughs> put it this way there's a great video of him and i think he's on mm, the colbert rapport or um the old daily show with john stewart or something like that and he's talking about his kind of way of thinking about art and writing and things like that and it's great it's like it's one of the best things you could find by a working writer right now. So I highly recommend people go just find that on YouTube or something.
2: Well, and it was unexpected to me because I I had to again, this was a book I had to read because I was interviewing him for this event. And so I was interviewing him about Lincoln and the Bardo. So it was one of those, you have to read this story and or this book. And I kind of didn't want to because I was I had this, you know, reverse chronological snobbery of <laughs> you know, it's a new book. I'm probably not going to like it. It's probably gonna be all postmodern and the, and then I loved it. It like captivated me and because I fell so in love with it in such an unexpected way, that's how it ended up really being, I would say probably in my top, definitely my top 10, maybe top five novels I've ever read.
1: Mm. So. Mm. That's amazing. Strong words. Mm -hmm. All right, let's go over to Tim for a second here. Um, I I know we could all kind of pick any one of these five and talk about it forever, which is why we do a show that does like eight episodes on single books. Um, (laughs) Tim, you have Lennon's Tomb by David Remnick, True Grit by Charles Portis, which we did on the show, The Course of Love by...
3: Alain de Bonton.
1: Yeah, that guy. Alain de Bonton.
3: Du Swiss philosopher.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You guys... Okay, new rule. You have to speak like that. I think he's British. I think he's
0: British. No, he's
3: Swiss and he has the most amazing accent.
0: He does have a lovely accent. It's so. Oh,
3: he's Swiss. He he grew up in Swiss boarding schools. No, he's Swiss.
1: Wow. Huh. Cool. <laughs> All right. So Wilson by A. Scott Berg and Shakespeare in the Theater, Mark Rylands at the Globe by Stephen Purcell. So, um, what is there? What is the book on here that when you made this list you were most surprised that it showed up? Were you like, huh? That is one of my top five favorite books. What do you know about that?
0: I think it's I think it's the last one, Shakespeare
1: in the Theater. Um,
0: it's a book about Mark Rylance, because it's just such a nerdy book. It's just a <laughs> book that a nerd would read. And I don't fashion myself to be a nerd, but I am. <laughs> this book you're, really you're, demonstrates that. I'm you're trying like,
3: to remember, Tim, didn't you have a similar book to this on your last yes. year's list?
0: Yes, I did, Angelina. You're exactly right. It was a book by a Jesuit priest in New York who was – the consulting theologian on one of my favorite plays, a book called um, The Last Days of Judas Iscariot. And <laughs> it was exactly like this book, Angelina. This book is nerdsville like that. So I'll just say a little bit about it because maybe I can get the hook in somebody's mouth to read this book.
1: Well, Mark Rylance it's is an incredible actor. So that you know, like that's an incredible yeah. actor. He David help me.
0: What would people know him?
1: He won the Academy. From? He won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor from Bridge of Spies, like three years ago.
0: He was also I think, I think uh, I the. I think that's right. That sounds right. He was also one of the ship's captains of one of the little fishing vessels in uh, Dunkirk. He and his that's son right. yeah, went across yeah, yeah, the yeah, English yeah, Channel. Yeah. yeah, he was great. really so. On top of all of his incredible acting prowess, he also in his mid thirties ran Shakespeare's globe in the middle of London. I mean, in his thirties wow! and he basically kind of revolutionized how Shakespeare is, per, was being performed in England. Um, it, the impression that I get is that, well, here's a little bit of the background. Tony Blair had just been voted into office and kind of like, clinton in the united states you know there's this there's this wave of change that he is um writing and one of the things that he does is he changes um the name of the whatever like this is going to sound so american the arts department (laughs) In, in great britain he changes the name of it from you know like the preservation of the arts to something like um the department for art entertainment and sport so anyway mark rylance comes in and he just makes a lot of kind of cultural changes within the globe and i found it really inspiring i love him as an actor and i nerded out
3: well that sounds (laughs) fun i love a good nerd book
1: he was also in um people might what what is it uh wolf hall wolf (laughs) hall Mm -hmm. which was was Thomas Cromwell and Wolf Hall from a few years ago.
2: That's a great series of books. If if anybody's watched
1: the really weird um, Prospero's books, that movie that Peter Greenaway did in 1991, which I'm guessing most people here have not, he also was Mm -hmm. in that. That's one of the weirdest uh, movie versions of any Shakespeare's play, in my opinion. That's one of those ones you only probably watch when you're studying, when you're in a class in college called Shakespeare in film. (laughs) So... (laughs) <laughs> um
3: okay so yeah so
1: let me ask you about um you i heard you talk uh, about this course of love the course of love book and obviously angelina knows about this this guy as well and i think yeah he, i
3: read that book last year
1: so talk about this one tim what's what why did this one show up on your list
0: it's so terrific <laughs> um <Fair> it's enough. <laughs> called the course of love it's it's got two i mean it's got kind of a double meaning it's a bio- it's it's sort of a, a psychological biography of a couple that gets together and falls madly in love, but the book kind of begins when they get married. That's an exaggeration. It does cover their courtship. But the thing that Baton wants to talk about is what nobody really talks about is what happens after or happily ever after. And his complaint is that in the west we have a incredibly romanticized view of what marriage is and he uses that word romantic over and over and over as a curse word almost and i found it um incredibly refreshing and one of the things that he talk- so so it's say it's partly a kind of a biography of this couple but it's partly also an instruction manual kind of to the reader and he'll stop in the middle of this story and he will talk about what's happening in the couple's life and why it's happening almost as a psychologist would. Hmm. Um, and I, I what would you compare it to? Is I mean, there a, is there another book you would? Compare it to? I've never read another no, book yeah, like, like it.
3: I just want to say it's that really... it's one of those things that, as you describe it, it sounds like it would be awkward, but he pulls it off.
1: Hmm. He does so you, it you, you yeah, approve yeah, of it as well, Angelina.
3: Oh yeah, I enjoyed it right. a lot, and it's very different structurally. It's exactly what Tim talking about, where it kind of alternates because okay. he's he's primarily an essayist. And so it, it reads like a novel written by an essayist because he stops and he'll give you an essay on what just happened in their lives. But it, mm. that sounds so awkward and didactic, but it's not. He, he pulls it off.
1: Yeah, he really does pull it off. Yeah, fit, he really you does. Out there. I think I interrupted you. Sorry. I, I, I
0: realize that by saying that he, um, speaks the word romance as if it were a curse word or romantic as if it were a curse word that might, that might, um, really turn some people off. Uh, man, I would encourage you, nevertheless, if you have strong, positive associations with that word. Everyone, everyone wants romance. Everyone wants to be kind of like swept into something. But I think what people want even worse is long-lasting and connected relationships with their spouse. And mm-hmm. this is that. And he's... <laughs> pretty adamant that a lot of our romantic notions about what a marriage is is um it, it causes the re- it causes the relationships to really suffer we kind of like make our spouse into what our parents provided us when we were children that's kind of one or what they didn't provide us when we were children that's one of the things that he kind of hits on over and over and he's out to kind of point it out and provide alternatives to that way of thinking. I, I found, found it delightful. How did it come I,
3: across your radar, Tim? I
0: saw an interview with him on YouTube and I kind of knew him. He was kind of in my periphery. He's, he's an essayist. He's also I think he's a trained philosopher. Yeah, yeah. And I come across a couple of his things and I was, I was really impressed with him. And like a couple of the other books on my list, my Amazon algorithm just apparently knows me <laughs> and loves
1: me and wants mm-hmm, my best interest for
0: it, So it kept showing up on my algorithm and I was like, okay, yeah. okay, I'll have a look.
1: That would be hilarious. You know what we should do is we should all pull up our Amazon accounts and we should just go, we should say, what does Amazon <laughs> recommend for me today? <laughs>
0: We should, yeah.
3: Sometimes it makes no sense, okay? Sometimes they're spot on the money, and I'm just like, oh, this is kind of creepy. But one time they sent me an email just to let me know that the brand new Billy Ray Cyrus biography was out. And I just what on <laughs> and earth? And you snapped it right oh, up. Of course. And I was like, what did I click on ever that made them think this is what I want to buy? <laughs>
0: Can I ask you guys a question on that note, Angelina? Do you guys ever go on Amazon or on Google or on Facebook and click links that you have absolutely no interest in just to throw off everybody's algorithm?
2: <laughs> yeah. That's a great that. idea. It's, I've never I do never
0: it about that. once every 2 months and I don't know that that's going to be have to
1: really screw them up very much. <laughs>
0: Might not. Well, I don't know, man. I don't know because I'll notice afterwards. My algorithms change. You're like Why Whoever am I need so many so advertisements, advertisements for a adult. Bit confused?
3: Hey, I'm excited that I changed my
0: relationship <laughs> for Billy Ray Cyrus's biography on
3: Facebook. Now, now I stopped getting singles ads, so that's a relief. <laughs> <laughs> Now it's all just going to be wedding ads. Oh my gosh. As soon as we got on the computer, got nothing but wedding ads.
1: You're going to get, you're going to get like a bunch of U-Haul ads, like ads for, for like lighter fluid. (laughs) In
2: a year or two, it's going to be baby stuff, Angelina. Oh wow. Yeah. They will have seriously misread that algorithm. (laughs) Right? (laughs)
1: Yep. So, um, okay. Here's what I want to do. We've, we've talked about each of y'all's lists and, I want to talk about some of the books that we read on the show this year.
3: Gosh, I almost don't remember. I got to go through so my book
1: here. Here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull up. We posted an image so There were basically, we did a short story unit and we did, a, we did some plays. So we'll skip the plays for right now. These are the nine or the seven, seven, seven. Yeah. Th- those are very different numbers. Um, they're both <laughs> under 10. So we did, um, well, I, I, this okay, is I got Howard's End as our first one in 2018. Yeah.
3: Is that we, what you have?
1: Yeah, we did Howard's End, The Code of the Woosters, Hannah Coulter, True Grit, Crossing to Safety, The Power and the Glory, and F. Scott Fitzgerald. And I know that you weren't all, you know, because of the way we expanded the show this year. We, you didn't all didn't you? The the listeners probably read more of these than each of you did. But for Angelina, what was the one of the novels that you were on that really stood out the most? That, that's the bit that was stuck in your head the most since you read it this year. I'm not necessarily saying what's the one that's your favorite or whatever, but like, what is there one of the books that we talked about that just sort of has lingered for you, or maybe even um, maybe it's even haunted you?
2: I feel. Please say "Code of the Woosters."
3: I feel disloyal saying anything but Barry, but I think I got to go with Howard Zinn. But I think Barry Mm. would approve.
1: Oh, I well, yeah, yeah, he would.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I think Howard Zinn. I think I come back to some of those ideas. Yeah,
1: mm. hey, I mean did that you ever, was a
3: second read as well as Hannah. What's that?
1: Did you ever watch the the series? The 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 uh, BBC one series?
3: No, but I saw that. It, I saw it's on Prime now, so I, I do plan on checking it out.
1: It's I re, I was making my list of my favorite show, TV shows of the year, and I realized you know what that's in my top ten TV shows of the year. So, it's, is it's been, it really? Yeah, yeah, I liked it.
3: Well, oh, that's they pulled good to know.
1: Uh, what about you, Tim? What's the one of these novels that has? kind of the most stood out to you?
0: Uh, this is going to surprise you. Howard's end also.
3: Yeah. Oh. Howard's end. That's so surprising to I, me, Tim. Why?
0: I know. I know. I mean, I, I remember when we read it, I enjoyed it. You did not love it. But it just, I did not love it, but it has like gotten into me and it <laughs> continues mm. to kind of knock on my door. Hey, <laughs> remember when you read us? Remember? Yeah, I mean, it just, I think. Remember when you were complaining difficult. about how
1: it wasn't about anything for the first half?
0: <laughs> right. Do you remember that? Because I remember that, time. I remember. I remember. That. When the ghost
3: either. of Ian e. Forrester has been haunting you this entire year.
0: Right. I remember when you were getting part me. of the reason that it that it got into me so much is because it is ideologically not an easy book to put into a box, whereas well, I'll just say it. Um, I love Wendell Berry, but you know exactly where he is. You know exactly where he is. And I think, the, I think Howard's Inn got into me because, man, there are so many things that just don't fit neatly into kind of any pre-categorized ideology that I have. And I, I really appreciated that. Yeah, like the,
1: the, the, the complicated love- nature of it was challenging to you. Yeah, I
3: I love your answer so much, Tim, because that's something I really try to impress upon my students all the time. I mean, you just articulated it, right? Like you're, you can maybe not love a book instantly, but, but this is what literature and art do, right? They stay with over time. You have to take the long view of how these books are affecting you.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I, you know, that's why I, one of the reasons why I really pushed early on in, in this show for, I don't necessarily mean with you guys, I think you guys were on board, but just when we were kind of talking here in the office and stuff about how the show was going to evolve and what it was going to look like, I really wanted to spend, you know, weeks on a book because I think even if we did one, you know, say two episodes on something, it's really hard for it to, you know, <clears throat> to, to, to sort of, it's hard to linger in it long enough to really get a sense of what it's going to mean to you, you know, and even seven, six, seven, eight weeks isn't long enough, but it's better than you know, one or two, because of the way books mm. sort of evolve in our consciousness. You know, the book—I'm not saying the book evolves itself, but the way our our mind sort of processes it and thinks about it and all that kind of stuff—it's uh, yeah, it, it it takes time for it to really do its work to us. And especially if we're going to say we've got to let this book come to us on its own terms, and we're going to interact with it on its own terms, then we—that's—you can't do that in like one or two days, right? Or one or two. Agreed. Or whatever.
3: Oh, we can uh, barely do it in seven weeks.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, Heidi, what about you? You know, it's funny. Nope, is, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead.
0: Before we go yeah, to yeah. Heidi, one of the things that um, I've noticed as a contributor of Close Reads is that oftentimes the books that um, stick with me the longest are the ones where I feel like I know the least and I'm least helpful on Close Reads about if that makes <laughs> sense. And I know that we're trying kind of not to perform on close reads. But for me, I kind of can't help it sometimes. And I want to be really good and insightful. But upon a first read, I'm, I'm, I never feel particularly insightful about a book. And so I really felt in Howard's Inn that I was just stumbling my way through. Hmm. And I find it a little bit, maybe ironic is the word, that that's the one the one that I stumbled through the most is the one that has kind of kept in me the longest. Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: It's interesting. because I,
3: I, I read a lot of Ian e. Forster this year. I mean, uh, Howard's in. Yeah. I became such an intense Forster fan. I also read his uh, aspects of the novel.
1: Oh yeah, that's right. Which is I'm really good. You are talking about the year of Ian e. Forster for you?
3: Pretty much.
1: I, uh, I. It's interesting that you both mentioned that because when, when we were doing it, that was one of the books that, um, was the most of all the books we've ever done in the show. It was one of the most challenging for me to sort of figure out how, I, how to approach it as, you know, the moderator host type position. There was something about it that made it more difficult for me to pinpoint, you know, what's the thing we should talk about? What's the question I should ask? What's the angle we should pursue here? Um, and, and it was yeah. like, I don't know if it, it might be what you're talking about there where it's just sort of hard to, to sort of pinpoint, you know, the box, so to speak. Um, cause if there's an obvious box that's you just go to that box, right. That's, that's sort of, yeah, that's right. an easy thing, but there was something about the way it, the book sort of pursued its own life, you know, that, that I think yeah. made it challenging to do that. And I, I haven't, I haven't really been able to pinpoint exactly what I mean by that or why that is, but I think probably it's just the nature mm-hmm. of it being a complicated book. Let's go to Heidi. What what is uh, what is yours? What is the book that stood out to you the most this year?
2: Well, I'm I'm torn between Crossing to Safety and The Power and the Glory, which which you've read twenty seven uh, times. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and that's that's my next point. That the Power and the Glory. It's no secret that that is one of my favorite novels of all time. And I've read it many, many times and under very different circumstances in my own life and taken it very personally each time, including the time this year when we read it for close reads. And then Crossing to Safety, which was a new read from a new author that I had never read before and came highly recommended. And they're two very different books. Um, So I'm torn between those two, which I've just been sitting here thinking about that. Um, that the stories that haunt us are either the ones we're so familiar with that they keep doing their work as you all have said doing its work on my soul again and again and again and I'm so familiar with it that it just continues to kind of work into it um, work into me or a new book that has gives me new new thoughts and a new discussion you know the three of us with Angelina and David we had such um you know, personal discussion about whether or not we liked it and what that means. And is that okay? You know, all those things. And so, um, I don't know, I probably have to say crossing to safety because I thought about it so much between our conversations, not just as a novel, but the work of literature in the soul. Mm.
1: I was I was thinking the other day about how sometimes these conversations are something of a blur, you know, and sometimes mm-hmm. we say things, people correct us, and rightly so for mistakes we make, or you know, whatever. Of so mm-hmm. I think sometimes about how the afterwards, I'll look, like, we'll finish a book, and I'll be like, wow, wait, so that those eight or whatever weeks are over, and. Then I'll be like, I guess next time I read it, I should go back and listen to the conversations we had to see if I actually agree with things we said. And, mm-hmm. and then, But then I'd have to listen to myself on a podcast. So I'm like, never... And then
3: you say all the time that you say stuff you don't mean. So I'm just always confused. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, I just got to keep people on their toes, right? Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so let's... So those were the seven novels. Was there... We also talked about... We also, you know, did some plays here and there. We talked... We did... There's been this year we have launched the plays, the thing. Um, was there another book out there that you, any of you want to mention that you're, um, you can just say no to this, but that your, uh, your perspective on it maybe changed or your, you were brought from the show. Yeah. yeah like in, in talk, talking and after we were doing it here on the show, whether it's, you know, I mean, there was a bunch of Shakespeare plays. We did the short story unit. We did the glass menagerie. Like, is there anything out there that seems to have, your perspective changed on it over the course? You know what? I actually don't mind even if one of these novels... Like, is one of these novels... Did your perspective on it change by doing it here on the show? Like, did you come into it thinking, oh boy, here we go, but then you came out of it thinking, okay, that's great, or vice versa? Anybody, whoever wants to just jump in here, you can. we can see if we... uh
0: I will say I learned a lot about the power and the glory that I did not know. And I think it's because Heidi's so good on that book. She has read it so many times and is so insightful on it that I saw a lot more in that book that I had even looked for, you know, the previous two times that I had read it. do mm. not know that I changed my mind, but my, i think hopefully my vision of that book got a lot broader
1: yeah i was gonna say your horizons were broadened but i like the vision the vision word yeah angelina do you have one that your perspective on it changed or was
3: Um, well i think i'm gonna go with the great gatsby Mm. and uh you know as we talked about on on those episodes i had read it in high school but didn't remember anything of it so i don't know if that counts as my perspective changing (laughs) but uh, i'll remember it now but uh I, I very much enjoyed it and and feel like I have an understanding better of Fitzgerald mm, uh, and yeah. I also I ask, from our conversations about that. Hmm.
0: Angelina, did you going into that book? What did you think of it? And after having read it again, what did you think about it? I, you, I know you probably you guys probably talk about this a ton on the mm. podcast.
3: So I read it in high school and didn't remember it. Didn't remember anything huh. of it except I, I, I can remember impressions of books from when I was really young. And so I didn't have a negative impression of it. I, I wouldn't say that I understood it, but I didn't hate it. And I remember that I really liked the writing, yeah. but since then, of course I've heard so much conversation about it and, and people listing it as a despairing book and kind of putting it on the, on the list of depressing modern fiction. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, so that yeah, was, the, yeah. that was, that was my expectation going in because I had heard so many people say that, Um but I didn't think it was despairing at all. I, I, I found it just fascinating. I thought he was spot on with his insights about, um, you know, what was wrong in, in the modern world um, and uh I thought I, I was so shocked to discover at the end of this book how deeply conservative it was mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it, it, it upholds the va- midwest values over the liberal East which I just I, you know that yeah. is not where I thought that <laughs> Cheryl was going to end up And, and, shout and out I feel to, like sorry sorry yes no go right ahead well, shout uh, out to Adam absolutely yeah,
1: shout out to Adam for his participation in that. And he, he, he's very insightful. He, you know, he's brought something like what Heidi brought to the power and the glory where he's read it several times. And, you know more than he could count probably he said and and uh, just brought a lot of energy and a lot of insight and a lot of love for that book and i think it really opened it up to people uh, you know combined with your sort of new insights you know your sort of rediscovery of it i really enjoyed that that sort of combination um, your rediscovery of it and his his ongoing love of it i think that made for a really uh, delightful delightful time discussing the book so tim you should listen to those those episodes sometime <laughs> i
0: should <laughs> hey can i can i just drop in Um, on like the praise of Midwestern values. This is a little anecdote. I was speaking to a pretty decorated (laughs) engineer and he told me that there is a table that engineers have when they're kind of considering the amount of time that will take to build a bridge or build a building. And that table is basically, it's like a, it's a work rate table for different uh, areas of the world. So, (laughs) Like, If you have a a protest against profiling, now is the time to get off the show for the next five minutes. The table basically says, um, here are the number of work hours that you get out of this area of the country. Hmm. And he said, I believe that he said the only area in the world where one work hour in the table equals one work hour. Is the Midwest of the United States. But
2: that's amazing. Oh, isn't that
3: crazy? Having grown up in the wow. South, I completely believe that. Yeah. <laughs> like I know contractors I hope I'm not exa- in the South, contractors themselves have said to me, listen, just between you and me, whatever estimate they give you, you add three months to that. So two-week mm. job means three months and two weeks.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: huh. mm. Anyway, let's continue with our non-profiling program.
3: No, you were, you were being so Nick Carraway, not to we, judge, but
1: I have. <laughs> when when did we ever make a any claim down that this was the non-profiling po- profiling podcast? That is just completely on. Un- that's profiling. Our
3: All program. of us make certain assumptions. <laughs> that is, when we see I
1: profiled books. close reads. <laughs> I totally profiled close reads. Um, okay, so let's let's uh we've talked a little bit about the books that um you, you sent me on your top five we talked about the books on the show can you each give me one book that was on neither of those lists that you would just recommend to people we don't have to go in depth on it but that you would that you would say people go read this book go pick it up
3: maybe, oh, okay. maybe it wasn't like a David,
1: does this, go well maybe just, does this have to be from the last year uh, um well no no go ahead Okay. okay. So basically it's a book you're saying it's not, it's not, we didn't do it on the show. It wasn't in my top five, but it's still a book you highly recommend. And you think people will like, especially our listeners. Angelina, you sound like you had one.
3: Well, I had an honorable mention that the only reason it didn't make my list is because I haven't quite finished it.
1: Okay. Go ahead. Um,
3: So I read again, this is a Thomas Banks pick, but there you go. Um, So a lesser known work by Ovid, which I know this is going to sound so hoity-toity, but when I explain it, it's really not. So he wrote a book called The Heroides, which is the letters of the heroines. So he, to me, he does exactly what an artist should do. He dips into this established classical heritage, makes something new out of it, but yet is true to the original sources. So, for example, he writes a letter from Penelope to Ulysses, a letter from Helen to Paris, um, a a letter from Briseis to Achilles, which is about, oh, gosh, you're just your gut being ripped out of you. Uh, and and so he reimagines all of these relationships through a series of letters and I think shows tremendous insight um, into their characters. Uh, so I have been actually using them in my anxious class here and there to say, here's another perspective of what was happening with Helen and Briseis and Penelope. And that, so his letter from Penelope, you know, we, we kind of... We, we, some people can give Penelope a hard time. Like she's not really doing anything. She's just waiting and she's done. She just takes a Ulysses back, even though he's gallivanting on the islands. But it's a different kind of Penelope we find in Ovid's work. Um, she, mm-hmm. she, she writes a letter, which, oh, wait, let me read the first line. It's so grand. The first, let, let me find the, here it is, here it is, here it is. The first line, Penelope to the tardy Ulysses, do not answer these lines, but come <laughs>
0: Oh, what a great line. <laughs> right? For
3: Troy is dead. And she's just like, you're taking a really long time. I'm not saying you're taking more time than you should, but I'm saying that and you need to come home. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So it's very accessible. And I thought super insightful into these characters.
1: Uh, okay. Heidi, Tim, either you got one?
2: Yeah, I've got one. Um, I have Been reading a lot of poetry lately. You're
1: gonna steal and mine,
2: aren't you? I'm not actually, because I'm leaving that to you because I know what you're gonna say. <laughs> um, but I'm gonna recommend an actual poet. Um, and I'm t- I've I've got two in hand. I'm gonna say both, and then I'm gonna pick one and hope okay. that you buy both. <laughs> so um I'm I've so A.E. Stallings, who's a woman oh, author, she's uh, and that yes, translator, and a translator. You know. Yes. So she is also a poet and all of her poetry is wonderful, but she has a new collection out called like just L I K E and it's beautiful. It's lovely. Um, and then also James Matthew Wilson, which this is the one I'm going to recommend strongly. Definitely. Um, That's,
1: uh, that's yeah, for sure.
2: Yes. So it's called the hanging God and it's a collection of poetry. It's wonderful it's accessible uh, you can if you're if you're new to poetry or if you uh or if or if poetry is something that you just really love i would definitely recommend this i just keep it on my nightstand and read one or two a night and think about them journal write down my favorite lines um so that i would i would say the hanging god by james matthew wilson and david read a poem called the scar of is it ulysses o- or odysseus. is it odysseus scar of odysseus Yes. Um, which Odysseus is the right choice, by the way, versus Ulysses. Um, but, uh, on the daily poem and it's a, that's a wonderful poem. And that is why I bought it was hearing you read that poem, Mm -hmm. David. Uh, And then I bought the collection and I loved it. Yeah. That book is, Mm -hmm. um,
1: it, 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 I didn't put it on my list. Well, I didn't even talk about mine, but I didn't um, put it on my list that We posted on on the Instagram page, but it it's basically like my sixth book. I had it on there and then I bumped it for something else just because I haven't read every title. I in
2: haven't it. read the whole thing yet. <clears throat> but it, it, he's yeah. he
1: is he's very um he's an example of someone who he writes a lot of sonnets. He writes um every almost everything from what I can tell is in an iambic pentameter. Um, it's very formal in a lot of ways. You know, it's not you know you we were definitely not reading. I don't know like. William Carlos Williams or Ezra Pound or someone like that, but it's, um, it's incredibly like it's, it doesn't do that in a way that's ostentatious at all. It's, it's great. And he's, he's a a classical scholar. He, he really is, has a great voice that really comes through. Like there's a consistency to his work that's kind of shocking. Um, and he's kind of a lesser known, Mm. like he's been published a lot in first things and places like that. That's, I think that's where I, I think I saw one of his poems published in first things back in October. Thomas
3: banks had a poem published in first things. If I might name drop that,
1: (laughs) you you're always Mm -hmm. welcome to name drop that. Um, so yeah, that's where I heard about him and, uh, we just need to get Thomas banks to publish a book this year. I'm for this. (laughs) So, okay, let's, um, let's talk a little bit of, Hey,
0: will you guys put those up on Facebook? Yeah,
1: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, and I, I would, I, hey, David, go ahead. Can I
0: chime in? Are you still on, are you still following up on this? I want to chime in. No. with.
1: with yeah, a, I was going to go to you.
0: To yep. read oh, let's yep. hear it. Um, so this sounds so crass because this is like me being the pedagogue amid poets. So I feel a little bit like a clunker doing this, but, <laughs> um, man, this book is so good. A failure of nerve by Edwin Friedman. And the subtitle is "Leadership in the Age of the Quick Fix," which is not—it's such a pop title. They were clearly Mm -hmm. trying to sell books. Yeah, Um, "A Failure of Nerve" is the title. It is a book by a—he's a systems psychologist who has worked with everybody.
3: What is a systems psychologist?
0: So he doesn't look at, if you went to go see him, um, he would say, don't tell me about, you know, what I really want to know is, is about what role you play in the different kind of systems, like your family or like your business. And that will tell me a lot about who you are and about kind of like how you improve the situation that you're in. So it's it's kind of oh man I'm I'm struggling to find the right words. It's a big picture view of psychology rather than kind of like an individualistic view of psychology. If that makes any sort of yeah. sense. Yeah.
2: So if you have psychoanalysis on one Thank side, you, which is like very intense internal processing, tell me what you feel and think about everything on the other side of the spectrum is the system psychologist who's going to be talking about you as the oldest child in your family, you as the superstar in your graduate program, you yeah. as this or that. Or right. whatever. And, um, so yeah.
0: We should, I should have kicked the answer to the person who has the grad degree in psychology <laughs> before I started <laughs> answering that question. Um, you
2: did great. <laughs>
0: I don't know. I don't know. I should have kicked you immediately. Um, this book is, I don't know how to tell you what a deep impact it has, it has had on me. And I have bought it as gifts to people and they, every person that I've bought it for, it's like they have this moment where their eyes are open for the first time. It's just remarkable. So a failure of nerve by Edwin Friedman.
3: Okay, by can it. I have a follow-up question? I'm, I'm, I'm not really sure I've wrapped yeah. my head around this. So, Someone who reads this book would, would learn what is something about themselves, something about their role, their function, how to be a better, what teacher business person, or is it more like how to be a better friend? Is it all of that?
0: That, I think it's probably all of that. It's more, it's not a self-help book, even though the title kind of sounds that way. It's more of a book, um, that help you see that, you function in a system and you kind of like gravitate toward playing a role in a system and systems have personalities just like every human being has a personality. And those personalities can be, those systems can be healthy or they can be unhealthy. And I think it's great how Friedman, Friedman is adamant that an individual in a system that's unhealthy can do something about it. Mm -hmm. The system doesn't have to get better in order for the individual to do something about it, to kind of like make a change. And I think he's very realistic about how he um, addresses that. I'll I'll just try to give you one little blurb and then I'll shut up. Um, He said that when he started his life as a psychologist, he was dealing with families and and he said, This family is dysfunctional. My goal is to help this family communicate with each other. And if they can communicate with each other, then that will open up the pathway to reconciliation, et cetera, et cetera. And he's like, man, you know, after a couple of decades of trying that, it just didn't work. And so what I did instead was I tried to find the one person in this kind of sick system that actually was willing to try to make a change. And I would only work with that person. And that person, if, if if that person in a sick system um, tried to change their life, he said, "What will happen over and over is that the system will um, do everything within its power to not let that person change. But if the person kind of sticks with it, then it could have the kind of like, the effect of, well, the system might actually get better. And if it doesn't, at least the one person has
3: gotten out." Mm-hmm. So that sounds this is fascinating.
1: It's by who? Yeah, what's his, it's wonderful. What's his name? Edwin
0: Edwin Friedman.
1: Okay. Well, okay. In the interest of now, it, you have to do
2: yours, David.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, um. Okay. So I'm well. I'm with you on James Matthew Wilson. Uh, I, I did post my five books as well. Um, I I thought this. I, I had a great year reading. I I was I found it very difficult to figure out which books um, would be my top five. Um, it was The Power and the Glory, for me, was the book that we did this year that stuck with me the most. I'd never read it. Unlike the other books, I'd never really read it. Or at least I hadn't read it in a long time. And I hadn't really read it in depth like that, really closely. And uh, so that that's really stuck with me. And for all the reasons we talked about on the show, and it wasn't that long ago. So I won't get into that too much. My favorite book that I read the whole year, without question, I didn't even have to think about this, is... Matthew Zapruder's book Why Poetry which came out late 2017 I think I th- I told somebody I think it was you Heidi recently was it you mm-hmm. I think we were talking about you yeah. asked me why I like that book and um, it's I read a lot of books about poetry I read a lot of poetry collections um, but it's one of the first books that I think spoke like it it, it spoke to me in a way that, like, f- I felt like I was being seen by the book. Does that make sense at all? Like, when you when you mm-hmm. read something, oh, wow. and you're like, this wow. book, it, this book is like speaking to me. It, like, it it knows me, and it's like helping me figure things out. So there's a you know there's a whole the last section of the book, for example, is all about what essentially you could call the negative space of poetry and how poetry is. Really consumed with what's not there in a lot of ways, and like, I'll, and that's why a lot of poets, for centuries and centuries, have been writing about like there's constantly this idea of what's not there, the like, the absence of things is this huge thing in poetry. So there's you know that that way of thinking about poetry is a big part of it. And then, um, it, it he talks about form, but also um, you know like a lot of different kinds of forms, but like what's the place of that form in contemporary culture, and like all this kind of stuff. And he interweaves it with his own stories of becoming a poet. He's somebody who never thought he'd be a poet. And then he discovered he was one and he pursued it full kind of with with all of his energy against the wishes of his father, who's this very successful lawyer. So it's kind of his own memoir combined with his reflections on contemporary poetry combined with, you know, what is the place of contemporary poetry in the canon of poetry at large and all this kind of stuff. So it's, it's just an amazing, fascinating book. I think it's, I would say it's more on the, like, it's not like a deep, I mean, there's a lot of aesthetic philosophy stuff in it, but it's not the kind of book that you're gonna. It's it's not like reading like, you know, um, T.S. Eliot or something. It's it's a very yeah, it's accessible. It's a very accessible, a very readable, readable accessible. book, huh. which makes it a fun read. I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted to recommend it because you know, even if you're not like deeply in love with poetry or you're not trying your hand at writing poetry or don't consider yourself poetic or whatever, you're still going to get a lot out of it. Even if you're just like, how do I teach this particular thing about poetry? There's there's sections in it that you could just point to. Um, And he does... One of the things that I love is the way he just will look at a specific poem and break it down. Like He'll do... He did pages and pages on William Carlos Williams' poem The Red Wheelbarrow, which is like a nine-line poem that he makes come alive for you. So I just love that part of it. Everybody knows that I love um, crime fiction and spy novels and stuff. And I started reading ross mcdonald this year he has a series of books about a private detective kind of a hard-boiled detective called lou archer and the first book in that series is called the moving target and it's a very sam spadey type type character i love those books so if you're into that sort of thing it's good uh good 1949 hard-boiled novel you're not going to deal with some of the stuff you got in like 70s and 80s crime fiction which maybe is you know a little harder to, to stomach so there's lots of lots of great books that I read this year, but those were two that I really loved. Just one David, genre fiction. Were
0: you reading that one? Go go for it. Were you reading that one when we were discussing uh, The Power and the Glory? Which one? Uh, the one you just mentioned. White uh, on
1: The poetry one? Yeah. Uh-huh. I was reading that off and on for like months, so probably. <laughs> I've read portions okay. of it multiple times, so pro- yeah, I would guess. Why?
0: Well, I remember the three of us had a conversation
1: about. Oh man, I'm
0: trying to bring it up. Uh, about the difference, kind of like between.
1: Oh, the symbol tradition
0: yeah. and yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, and symbols. symbols and images, and,
1: and I remember. I don't know if that was came from that. I was thinking a lot about that, and I was, you know, like we looked it up in the Edward Hurst poets glossary. I remember that. I I don't know if it was because of that book that we talked about that, but I know that that's a big thing I've been thinking a lot about the last year or two. So that, so you probably, probably yes. Uh, Okay. Okay. uh,
0: Okay. So let's. uh, I remember you shared some thoughts during that podcast, and I thought, oh wow, that's really that's really powerful. You you were surprised. That was one that came from. No, no, no. no.
1: (laughs) That was weird.
2: (laughs) Family systems therapy time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. I know. Okay. So let's, let's, we only have a little bit of time left here. We've been going a while and I don't want to keep you too long. So let's talk about if you have any, are there any, I don't want to say what's your strategy or plan for the new year, but is there, are there any authors? Have you started, do you make a book list every year? What are you, what are you going to do in 2019 for your reading? Tim, I'll let you answer that. Do you have a plan or are you just going to kind of see what happens?
0: No, I had a plan at this time last year to like really dive into the history of science. And oh, I read I Einstein. That. Yeah, right. What a, whatever. I didn't <laughs> like I, <laughs> in, Okay, in fairness, I read two books uh like Medicine and Early Christianity, which I think was hmm. ostensibly about the relationship between Christian and science, which by the way, nerdy book and just delightfully interesting. Hmm. And I also read Einstein's biography. So I could double a little bit. But no, I just chase the tiger wherever it goes. I, I, I can't pre-plan. I've just learned that. <laughs>
3: Amen to that. That's exactly my reading strategy too. Anytime I've tried to write, it just doesn't write a list. It, it doesn't happen because yeah, I, I read so much right. nonfiction. I just have to. I'm chasing footnotes constantly. That's <laughs> yeah, me. Reading yeah, yeah. an old book me and there's a an yeah. footnote, and then immediately I'm pausing and I'm on the internet trying to find this thing, and then it ordered it, and then that's the so yeah. So I I yeah, I like the way you said chasing the. Did you say lion or tiger?
0: Tiger. Uh, I believe in tigers. Well, you
3: know. <laughs> Well, you're from Georgia you and I'm from Louisiana. Believe, so we got to go tiger, Tigers, us, right? You
1: don't believe in lions, <laughs> but you believe in tigers? Like, what do you mean you don't really <laughs> right, right. believe in Right, <laughs> right.
0: Like I said, I need to, bre- I need to brush need up a little study, bit on yeah, my history like, of science, science yeah. my taxonomy. <laughs> so,
3: yeah, I'll be chasing footnotes and reading whatever Thomas Banks gives me to read.
1: Yeah. So I, I love that that idea of chasing footnotes because I was thinking the other day, I don't know if you would used that phrase before or something, but I was thinking of how I, have. I chase footnotes, but it's like in fiction like this book leads me to the next crime fiction novel or some other thing that some genre because you know i love genre fiction so like this one leads me to the next author or someone says oh if you like that guy you got to read this and so i'm always kind of like stopping and starting and reading like seven different spy novels at the same time until i finish one and so i am like the anti-intellectual version of chasing the uh the, the, the dummies version of chasing footnotes <clears throat> the genre footnote what about you heidi? do you have a do you have a strategy or a plan do you make a list?
3: Can I guess i'm gonna guess that Heidi like has a spreadsheet <laughs> <and> <laughs> like a meticulous
2: plan and her, right? heidi? I do so I am
1: and I know there's listeners um, who do this.
2: So, oh, that wasn't judging. I ass. know. I I,
3: I tried you. that so I, many times, and then I like I to be. I known. can't even find the spreadsheet, so i have just
2: given it up. <laughs> no, I I like to be no. I, that's true about being my my closet is color coded by sleeve length. Um, so my book list that, there um, might be treatment for that. <laughs> so,
1: uh, yeah, it's called children.
2: I, yes, right. <laughs> Amen. I did. So, can I tell you? Thank you for saying that, David. Because can I tell you a story about? Parenting is it your gunner, again, did your yes, did
1: she turn your closet yes. into your spider closet? Yeah, okay.
2: No, so this is about how I I did something the other night I've never done as a mom before, and it was that Lucy has a cough and she's like a real sensitive gag reflex, so she got up to go throw up, and Aww. she threw. I know that's really sad, but she threw up her retainer into the toilet, so oh, I
0: had to no. fish it out
2: with my hand, it's like retainer toilet. Vomit. She also had a bloody nose at the time. So, oh my
1: god! The real, the real tragedy here is uh, Heidi is not that you had to dig this thing out of your tw- the toilet. It's that your daughter yeah. had a bloody nose, a cough, and throwing up all at the same time.
2: I know. I you so know. Just, just I want to see it that way. <laughs> I I do want to see it from that perspective. That's <laughs> true.
0: <laughs> okay, can I can I weigh in on yes. this? I heard that story and I thought. Okay. Keep in mind, my number one book of the year was the fall about the fall of the Soviet Empire, like <laughs> one, one of those catastrophic events in human history. After hearing your story, Heidi, my faith in humanity—you reaching into that toilet for her retainer—my faith in humanity is restored. I'm like, oh, there's oh, hope. There's thanks,
2: hope, Tim. Yeah, it was. It was a sad. It was a sad. I was laughing so hard. It was one of those like I have to just laugh at this because this may be the grossest thing I've ever done. And <laughs> oh my so, god, so sweet and just, tragic. Yes, yeah, it was. So anyway, my color-coded closet does have an antidote, and it is Lucy barfing up her retainer in the mm-hmm. toilet. Um, it is funny how once you
3: become a parent, your standard of what's gross radically it's changes. It's so true. Yeah. yeah.
2: And what you're so you willing just to see how do much for another sweats. human being Yes. <laughs> oh, man, it's a new year. How did you do that? Not true.
1: I'm, Tim, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If we were such a <laughs> no, no, I, I, I wouldn't keep doing it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so well, th- This is now the episode that's going to be
2: subtitled Close Reads Bodily Food, right? <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, right, right.
2: Oh, man. So anyway, I do have a reading list. Last year I did not have a reading list and I um, I read a lot, but I realized I didn't read as much serious nonfiction because uh, I would start mm. things and then put them aside. I'd start mm. something and, oh, this is great. Now I want to start something else. And so I did kind of the, what you guys are describing with the chasing of the footnotes, but then I didn't end up reading. I kind of used all of my serious nonfiction as reference books instead of reading from cover to cover. And so... But when I have a list, I actually do stick with it. So I mm. I did make a list this year focusing, and my fiction list is short. It's close reads reading, and I want to reread The Russians. I'm going to reread Dostoevsky. So um, that's... So you'll read like oh, three books my this year? Goodness. I will. I think I yeah, will read right. Crime, and Army, Crime and Punishment and Brothers K again, and then whatever close reads, and then whatever takes my fancy. With fiction, I'm a little bit more breezy, Um and, but I do have a list of devotional reading and nonfiction that I'm going to stick to this year because I just okay. didn't do a great job with it. And I listen to a lot of books too. I'm an Audible fan. I listen to Illinois Odyssey like over and over again on repeat in different versions. Um, so I'm going to stick with that again this Get, year.
1: So, so you have this list made. Give me mm-hmm. three titles from this list that you are like, Rearing and ready to go as far as reading. Does that, I just, that doesn't make any sense. The sentence I just said doesn't make sense. Yeah, it does. No, I
2: got it. Rearing and ready to go. Rearing and ready to go. So hold on. I'm pulling it. Unleash the tiger. (laughs) (laughs) I'm chasing the tiger. I'm chasing (laughs) it. Yes. Uh, The tiger will be found. Let's see my reading list. Here it is. My top three. um, I'm going to read, this will surprise no one who knows Andrew Kern. I'm going to read Touches of Sweet Harmony.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, which he is obsessed with this book. And again, I started it and then kind of went veered off track. Um, I am going to read, um, I'm embarrassed to say I've never finished After Virtue. So I'm going to read that cover to cover. Oh, Good for you. I've, what a book. I've read portions of it, excerpts of it, chapters of it, kind of skimp, but I've never just sat down and read the whole book from cover to cover. I so haven't I either. That so, this year.
1: you know. Yeah.
2: Uh, so, After Virtue. Hey,
0: let's read it together oh, anyway. Guys. anyway, <laughs> Yes. I would love to. You
2: too. It touches of Sweet Harmony. And then I'm going to, I love Joseph Pieper, but I've only ever read, um, Leader? You know, the, the one, the leisure one. So, um, which I loved. So I'm also gonna read In Tune with the World and Only the Lover Sings. Although I did read his one on the Cardinal Virtues. Which one was that? Um, what's the name of that? Isn't book? it called the Cardinal? Isn't it called the Cardinal Virtues? The Cardinal Virtues? But, well, that one. I loved that. I loved that book a lot. So anyway, this year I'm mm. also gonna read In Tune with the World and Only the Lover Sings. Contemplation's that's on, on
1: That's on my art. list for this year too.
2: Oh good. Yay. I like it because uh, so it's not are so long. Sampling yes well and i love this subtitle i love i love the whole idea of this book only the lover sings what is it contemplations on art and something else that didn't make it on my list hmm. but i loved it hmm. um so those are a few examples
1: angelina do you have one or two books that you're rearing and ready to read this year or maybe you've even started them since we're now into the new year
3: uh well i got a stack of medieval chaucer books i'm i'm really hoping to finish you read you read
1: books about chaucer
3: i've got about six different really old out-of-print books about chaucer and chaucer i'm shocked
1: i tell you i'm shocked
3: <laughs> I, I know uh, and, right. and before i can finish one i've already ordered two more that it's that kind of thing because i keep following the footnotes
1: it's like me with spy novels but a much healthier obsession on your part
3: <laughs> is it i don't know <laughs>
1: I don't know which one of those two things is better to know a lot about probably Chaucer. I don't know. But then of course some of those characters in Chaucer might get in your head and screw you up a little bit. (laughs) Is there one in particular that you would recommend for our listeners, like a a book about Chaucer for people who are maybe less familiar with him, but want to know more?
3: Uh... It doesn't even have to
1: be on your stack, but just one that you would say you want to know about Chaucer. You have to read this book.
3: Well, I mean, I, I am actually, I'm looking at this book right now. So uh, it's called Chaucer and His Poetry by George Lyman Kittredge, which I've spoken about yeah, him yeah, before right. on the yeah, show. Yeah. And I gave a Chaucer talk about him. He's he's the Chaucer man who, who started it all back in the day. Um, so this is one of his books. It's a series of lectures he gave and um, several in the Canterbury Tales and putting Chaucer in the, in the context of his time. So he, he's a great place to start. Hmm.
1: Tim, did you answer the question about a book that you're rearing and ready to chase the tiger on?
0: <laughs> i'll tell you a book that i'm halfway through which is exceptional and i think our readers is right in the pocket for our readers uh alan jacob's book the year of our lord that's 1943. on my list yeah i read that that's it on my is list so is, yeah it's unbelievable it's so it's a kind of a four-part biography of jacques mariton c.s lewis t.s Eliot. W.H. Auden and Simone Vi during and at the conclusion of world war two. And they're all independent of each other, trying to lay out kind of their, their plan for educational, spiritual regeneration in the West after the, after world war two, it is so good. Yeah. And yeah, I, I very readable. It's the too. kind of book that our readers would you say, David? I
1: just said it's very readable. Like you maybe hear, you know, Marathon or whatever, and you're like, that I don't know, I don't know if I want to read that. But it's very readable. Is that yeah? yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Even if you're not yeah. a philosopher, the the way that he ties things into um, the the evolution of culture and and the, what it means today, and the, the the way some of these people were coming to the same things at the same time, and showing how, like, I think the title is apt, the Year of Our Lord, because it shows how so many of these ideas that they were coming to independent of one another were sort of, sort of coalescing in, in the movement. Yes. Of like the age.
0: Independent of each other. Yeah. <laughs> they heart, I mean, CS Lewis and TS Eliot would have been on the Island at the same time, same with Auden. But as far as I know, they're not really having conversations with each other, but they're all moving in the same direction. There's some variation in their views, especially between somebody like Maritain and Simone Vai, but it's, kind of stunning how common their vision of the post-world war is mm-hmm. considering they did not talk all that much
1: yeah yeah that's what that was on my one of my that was on my top five of the year of last year well th- yeah last year <laughs> oh was it really was it really
2: i mean no it really wasn't because it wasn't on your list or was it yeah it is, it's on. My, it I, on it? yeah. Oh, okay yeah, yeah okay
1: oh nice nice <laughs> yep it's one of
0: the five that i posted so yeah the year of our Lord nineteen forty three. Really good.
1: If and for future reference, when Alan Jacobs publishes a book, buy it the day it goes on presale.
0: No doubt. He's no doubt.
1: Like one of the preeminent, like he, his books will last. I, I really believe that. Like we will, people will, when we're old, you know, my children will be reading his books. Well, I don't know if my children will be able to read.
3: That. Did he write a biography of Lewis? I think I have that. Is that why that name sounds familiar? Yeah, he. I don't know.
1: He wrote a book that. Some people might have. I wrote a review of his book, How to Think, which came out a couple of years ago. I wrote. Some people might have read that. I wrote that. Wrote that for a magazine. So that was one that was pretty popular. I don't know if he wrote one about Lewis. I would have to. I haven't read. If he did, that's one I haven't read by him. If he did. Um,
0: well. I know that Ken Myers has interviewed him more than a few times for Mars Hill. I wonder if that's how you know him, Angelina.
3: I'm googling He's him a right great now. Just great see. interview
0: too. What a great interview. Yeah, oh, he did. He wrote so the Narnia a lot
3: oh he did and i own it yeah just looked at it you uh,
1: <laughs> he also wrote
3: the imagination of c.s lewis <laughs> yeah. so I do have, he
1: wrote the, sublime, the pleasures of the reading in area. the age of distraction uh, shaming the devil he did a translation i believe of or he wrote a book he wrote an essay on the um or no a book a kind of literary biography of the Book of Common Prayer, I believe.
3: I see that. That so, looks amazing. Wow. He also did a new critical edition of Auden. Yeah, he's um, great. He's great. Which we're big Auden fans over here. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> okay, well, we probably should wrap this up, but um, thanks, to y'all. David, I have a question before we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is the, is the
0: close reads list set for the coming year? I, yeah, I just I looked at what we have on Facebook. Just going to say and- that.
1: So what's happening next is we are going to do starting next week. We're going to be reading the remains of the day and we're going to do that through the first week of February. So for next week, make sure you read the prologue and part one. It's day one is what it's called. It's not really divided into chapters, but I think it's the first 42 or 43 pages or something like that. So the prologue and day one of remains of the day. Then after that, we are going to, um, I'm going to pull a, uh, Pull a power move here, and we're going to do the spy who came in from the cold, the which I think is the best nice. spy novel ever written. Um, so that's John Le Carre. We're going to do uh, for that Sense and Sensibility, Jane Austen. Got to got to go back around to Jane Austen again. Got to do her every now and then. Um, uh, I'm thinking. We, we had some requests to do um, a young adult or more of a children's novel so I was thinking we should do Little Bridges which is both uh, kind of got that Western and young adult but but also is really appealing to adults um, and I have never really seen a lot of good conversation on that book so I think we could have a good time with that the current plan is to do the rector of Justin in June July the class novel and then after that the adventures of Huckleberry Finn and then I've got a few other ideas to to loop some other things in here I'm gonna post um post that list on the Instagram page as an image. So if you want to see that, you can also go to close closereadspods.com to see that. Then we also are going to be starting uh um after Heidi and I finish up discussing Henry the we we'll move on to Julius Caesar on the plays the thing, followed by The Tempest, Othello, Macbeth, A Midsummer Night's Dream, Richard the and The Merchant of Venice. And that'll take us basically through the end of 2019 on, on that on that uh on that show as well. So there's lots of great books that we're going to be discussing. Um, Maybe we'll do another short story unit um, on on the show somewhere in there if we want to kind of mix it up. So the dates uh, and all that's kind of subject to change depending on, you know, where, you know, if people are still interested in something and if we just, if we, if if we realize that two, you know, the some of the books and the conversations are too similar. We'll try to maybe mix it up. So be prepared for the possibility of change. But generally, I would say that over the next year, the books that are listed over on the show and on the show website page, and then on the Instagram page, those are pretty safe for what you're gonna you're going to um, yeah um, you're gonna get this year. So I'm pretty excited. I think I think that this is a nice wide variety. Those are great choices, David. Books.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and um, make sure that you're you know um, sending us. You know, we we'd love to get your recommendations. So if there's a book that you really want us to read, I can't promise that we'll do it, you know, right away or when we'll do it. But I'll, I'll add it to the ongoing list I have of recommendations from people. So feel free to email me or shoot me a Facebook message or tweet at me or, I, you know, pretty easy to get a hold of. So send us your recommendations and we'll we'll consider them and see if we can fit them in. Like I said, no promises, but we'll do what we can. Um, I guess that's it. I guess we've, we've covered 2018 previewed 2019 a little bit. Um, I just want to say thanks to, to you all for, for being a part of this, uh, this last year we had some, I think we had some great shows we launched new shows. We'd launched the place, the thing, and then, you know, uh, the daily poem and there's a lot of stuff going on. So I'm really grateful to be doing this with you guys. It's so much fun and would not be possible without, um, you know, the three of you, picking up the slack um, because no one would want to sit here and just listen to me ramble on. I could just read the book aloud, I guess.
2: I don't know, David. I don't know about that. You're so self-deprecating today. I know. Let's talk about it. <laughs> let's work
1: through it. Let's work, let's work it out. Well, Oh, well, thanks, oh David. look at that. Thank Time you. is up yes. now.
3: We know read system psychology book.
1: Yeah, so thanks to you guys. It's been so much fun.
2: Well, Thanks, thank David. You, David. That's really we
1: kind of you. We're having the best. Time. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Um Angelina, congratulations.
2: Yes. Oh, thank you.
1: Congratulations, Angelina. Yeah, thank you. At some point we will uh I'm sure we'll be hearing more about the date and all those sorts of things. But we're we're excited for you, we're happy for you, and we are um that's just that's great news. And um
3: oh honestly, I wanted to say this and I forgot. Um a bunch of people came up to me at the conference in July this year, not knowing that I had in fact met my Lord Peter and uh, people who had listened to this show. And I guess I've heard me talk over the years about what I was looking for. And so it, it was b- bizarre and wonderful that so many people came up to me and said the exact thing, which was, I have been praying that God would send you your dream, man. Hmm. And I have been so deeply touched to know that so many people have been praying for me. So for everyone who ever prayed that, thank you so much. And please know that God answered that prayer in spades. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful. Mm. Um, That's great. I guess that's that's a good final word for this show. So uh, again, feel free to get in touch with us. However, however you want, if you have questions or whatever, get ready to read. Uh, remains of the day and hope you're joining us over on the place the thing and uh that's it happy reading in 2019 and we'll be back with uh you know new new shows about about new books that we hope you'll join us for so for angelina sanford for heidi white for tim McIntosh, and for all of us here at the close reads podcast network i'm david kern thanks so much for listening and happy reading talk to you next week